Hello, I'm Brooke Johnson. Welcome to my father's podcast. For this week's message, or any of the messages in our archive, subscribe for free on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Bethel Christian Fellowship is a church that relies on the support of its community. We consider you a part of that community, and we would love for you to participate in our financial life. You can do that at our website at drcraigjohnson.org. Whether you're new to this space or a regular pod listener, we're glad you're here. We believe that this message will bring you hope, encouragement, and guidance. God bless you. Good morning. Can we greet our streaming family? He is risen. He is risen indeed. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. Happy Resurrection Day. Oh, beloved, beloved. Oh, my heart is so full today. Stacy is home. God bless. Can we greet our Stacy? Joaquin and Eunice are here. Gretchen is wearing the hat of the century today. Gretchen, come up one second and just show the hat. Then I'll be released to preach. There it is. Happy Easter, everyone. <laughs> Lord, help us. My heart is so full this morning of gratitude to God for his goodness. And beloved, just before I left the house, the Lord added a little addendum to the message, and I'm going to lead with this. He gave me a word in Matthew chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. And after Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, rise up and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. He told me that those powers that have tried to destroy your life and your dream, and there have been more than one, are gone. the enemies that have been set against you your entire life. And there have been many. You may think there's one. Herod was one, but his wicked son that Herod killed just before he died was another one. There are a plurality of forces that have been trying to destroy you and burn you down. Your talents, your gifts, your abilities. But how many of you know today we celebrate a Lord who brings beauty in exchange for ashes? When the fire is done and has reduced that dream to nothing and that hope to nothing and everything is gone, Jesus says, I'm just beginning. Bring me those ashes. There's no problem. I'm not finished yet. And then I, I went, then he gave me Exodus 4, 19 and 20. We go back to the life of Moses and says, now the Lord had said to Moses in Midian. Where's Midian? A long way away from where he started. He was 40 years in Egypt thinking he was a somebody. He lived 40 years in the backside of Midian as a nobody. Then he spent the last 40 years of his life seeing how God can use a nobody. But he's in Midian a long way away from where he'd run from Pharaoh. 
And his only companion all those years was a staff. That was his staff of bondage, and now it became the staff of a shepherd. And the scripture says, And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all those who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons, and he put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt, and he took the staff of God in his hand. There were a plurality of people who had committed themselves to destroying Moses. Guess what? They didn't succeed. And all their plans were turned to ashes. Good news today, beloved. The plurality of powers that have sought to destroy you, God said, I've destroyed them. It's already happened. You're just going to have to wait in real time to see the trickle-down principle. Remember Daniel, the Bible said, prayed for two weeks, and it took the angel two weeks to fight through the principalities and powers and finally got to him. And the angel said, man, we heard your prayer two weeks ago, but there was a little bit of a delay. But that's all right. It's all right. The good news, now we know everything that happens within five seconds. You used to have to wait two weeks. The Lord says, you just go ahead and be encouraged right now because you're going to find out the enemies are gone. Isn't he wonderful? What a day to celebrate joy. What a day to have to do some kind of a dance. Now, Stacy, all the way from Hawaii, brought me this gorgeous ornament. Look at this. And you thought I was just snappy and stylish. <laughs> This living, I, and all I could do, you know, talk about a problem in this, in this ministry. She gives me this beautiful living lay, and I'm like, I don't want to bruise it. I don't want to hurt it. You know, put it back in the fridge. No, I'm going to wear it today. Bless God. And I may just preach enough to flip it around a bit. Don't, uh, youth, don't you tune out. He is risen, beloved. And he lives that death itself will one day die. And if you think the resurrection is not important, the Apostle Paul said, if he did not rise bodily from the dead on the third day, we are of most men absolutely miserable. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, if Christ be not risen, our preaching is useless. Every sermon you've heard the last 2,000 years is a lie if he did not come out. On the, well, the resurrection is a principle of newness of life that we see in every culture. No, no, no. Paul said if he didn't come out of the grave on the third day, literally and bodily resurrected from among the corpses, First consequence, our preaching is useless. Every sermon you've heard is a lie. Secondly, our faith is useless. Third, the apostles are liars. Fourth, faith is futile. Fifth, we are still in our sins. Sixth, if Christ is not risen, we are lost. And seventh, we're to be most pitied because everything we've been taught is a lie. There are dire consequences if he is not risen. So it isn't a principle. It is, and, and the early Christians didn't believe in the resurrection because they heard a good minimal facts presentation. You know, gosh, really, there was an empty tomb. They met him. Christianity is Christ, and Christ is a risen Savior, and it matters that he rose on the third day. And because he did, we can now stand 
and we can look into the face of the God-man, the fulfillment of every dream in the heart of the triune God. That what we celebrate today, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, was the fulfillment of the heart of Almighty God. Bless his name. Holy One, we pray for your beautiful presence to rest upon your children, Lord. Blessed are your eyes, for they see in your ears, for they hear for many prophets and righteous men have longed to see what you're going to see and have not. We're thrilled to be alive in this hour. We're privileged to have a front row seat to the greatest show on earth. Hallelujah. Doesn't matter how, how you look. It doesn't matter what you feel. You're alive and you've crossed the finish line. So give him praise today for that. Put your hands together. I'm just glad you're alive. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you look like when you cross that finish line first. You do your you do your victory lap, they call it. You know what I mean? You just your leg could be broken, but you pull yourself, you do that extra lap. Come on now. We're doing an extra lap today. Did you know that Christianity should have been a footnote in history? there is no chance in heaven, earth, or hell that the Christian message could have gained any traction whatsoever apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the third day from the dead. Unless the resurrection occurred, there is no accounting for Christianity. Uh, first of all, just to, how not to invent an ancient religion. Point one, don't get crucified in a culture of honor. If you want to build a religion, do not have your leader be crucified in a public ceremony of utter shame and degradation. Crucifixion, we don't know much about it because the Romans wouldn't talk about it. It was so dreadful. It was a public shame spectacle to absolutely destroy the image of the one pinioned like a clown held between heaven and earth. So hint number one, if you want to start a new religion, don't have your founder crucified in a culture of honor. Secondly, don't be Jewish. The Jews in the ancient world were utterly disrespected and mocked. They were memes in the ancient culture of the world. So don't have your Messiah be Jewish. Third, don't be from Galilee. Geography is everything in the ancient world. By the way, political correctness is new. 2,000 years ago, there was no such thing. It mattered where you came from. It mattered your geography. It mattered your mama's name. It mattered who your daddy was. And it mattered how much money you had. And if you were from a backward tin horn town, with a bunch of riffraff, not a good 
beginning point for traction on inventing your new religion. Don't have your founder crucified in a culture of honor. Don't be a Jew. Don't be from Galilee. Oh, and don't be a carpenter. This was tantamount to a slave's industry. Whether you translate that carpentry or tecton or say he did made other things, it was, it was in the culture, steps down in the class order. Let's see what else they've got. Oh, don't be new when old is sacred. They brought a brand new religion in a culture where antiquity was everything. Ancient was sacred. New was not true. Old is what you counted on. And they brought a brand new religion in a culture where only old is sacred. Oh, and then next... Don't abolish all class distinctions. Don't say the rich and poor don't matter, male and female don't matter, master and slave relationship doesn't matter. We're just going to abolish the entire class system upon which the entire Greco-Roman world is founded. New religion! Woo! We're going to be as big as Lakewood. No, no. Oh, and don't trust women in riffraff. They're... The women are the first ones at the tomb that testified to the resurrection of Jesus. Ladies, I, I know you've heard that, that you got a bad rap in this culture. This is the finest country to live in at this time in any conceivable universe. Women's testimony was worthless in a court of law. You couldn't even testify in court. You never associated a religious movement and its founding with women and ruffians from Galilee. The Galileans were the backwoods guys that had a weird accent. That's how they recognized them. Oh, you're from Galilee. Remember Peter around the fire? They say, you're a Galilean, right? How'd you know? These, they, they were called the Amharits, the men of the earth. The Jews in Jerusalem believed it was the Galileans and their unbelief that were keeping the Messiah from coming because they weren't observant at all. They were a disgrace. So Christianity, if, it, if you're trying to found a new religion, don't do anything I've just mentioned. Oh, and there's more. Don't demand absolute moral behavior. The Christians show up and say, oh, one man, one woman, forever. Anything else is sexual immorality. <laughs> we demand absolute sexual purity in this culture. And everybody at the orgy goes, huh? <laughs> Don't do that. Shh. You can see all the spin doctors coming in. Shh, we have to have a talk. You guys are starting on the wrong foot. I wouldn't have followed this group either. Oh, next, don't confront ancient intolerance with a new exclusive claim. You want to talk about intolerance? Go back to the Roman system. Absolute intolerance. And I know, start your new religion by coming up with an absolute claim that defies the intolerance of the age. Shh. No. We need to all calm down and count to ten. Could we do that? And then we're going to have a little holy huddle here and a little TikTok. We're going to have a chin wag. This is not how you start an ancient religion. But wait. Don't promise shame, disgrace, and utter social stigma. 
in a culture of honor. Don't promise your people utter disgrace that they're going to be rejected by their families, cast out by the culture, and utterly disgraced if they should so choose to pick up their cross and follow Jesus. This is not a winner. Come on, we got to keep it positive. Keep it up. Keep it up. Keep it up. It's failing thus far. (laughs) Oh, and don't be historical. If you want to start a religion, make it a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Not... He stood before Clarence Thomas during the governorship of Gavin Newsom and he was buried in Tom Cruise's tomb. Don't be historical. Be vague. Somewhere in the mists of time. Keep it distant. Don't say crucified under Pontius Pilatos Pilate. Because now you're going to encourage people to examine the facts. They're going to fact check you. Next. Don't claim God has entered into human flesh. Oh, 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 beloved. The Greco-Roman world was influenced by a guy named Plato. And Plato said, spirit good, body good. Your spirit is the bird in the cage. Your body's the cage. Your goal is the bird to get out of the cage. You got to get out of the yucky, poopy flesh, this drag of the material reality. This is a lower realm of reality. We've even gotten that that in the Christian church. We've got some of our worship songs. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. That's platonic. The body isn't the cage of which the birdie is the spirit that must escape from flesh. The Christians instead said, hey, guess what? When we die, we're all going to come back into the flesh and be re-enfleshed forever. Good news. Not in this culture. Remember Paul at Mars Hill in Acts 17 is preaching to the Epicureans and the Stoics and they were listening to him and he's going along and they're fine until he says, and Jesus is Christ and God has proven this by raising him from the dead and re-enfleshing him. And they thought, God having any association with material reality? No way in heaven, earth, or hell. This is not a starter when you want a new religion founded because the entire culture doesn't want to be re-enfleshed forever. They're trying to get out. And we want to get them back in. Jesus not only threw the body off at the cross, but he picked it up on the third day. Non-starter. All right. Are we done yet, Craig? No. Next, don't be historical. Don't, Don't ever put an indexical encouraging people to check out the facts. Because you want to keep it vague. And next, you can't keep a secret in a group culture. If you're faking the resurrection, well, what we did is we held Jesus' body up and did a ventriloquial thing. Hi, guys, I'm feeling great. How you doing? You know, did you see him? Is he moving? Yeah, sort of. How's it going? I'm fantastic. Or you cannot keep a secret in this culture of family. If there was lying going on, deception going on, let's plan the greatest deception in human history, right? Like just move the body a bit and go, I saw him, he's alive. 
Everyone knows when you're lying, and every family knows all of its private secrets. You cannot pull off the greatest story of all time in a culture where everybody's secrets are laid bare in the street. Now, I know in your homes there is no secret that is unknown. All right? Square that and put it back 2,000 years ago. You don't get away with lying and nonsense when it comes to pulling off this kind of grain. <laughs> and next, eh, don't teach anything out of the norm. If you're starting a new religion, don't, be, don't say up is down and down is up. And if you want to get everything, give everything away. And if you want to live, die. And if you want to die, live. And, you know, you know, Jesus, come on, just make three simple snappy sermon points. But don't say weird stuff like, hey, everybody, eat my flesh and drink my blood. It's like, oh, please. Peter's going, huh, huh, huh. Remember the odd couple, Felix? Huh, huh. That's all I can do. Like Marie says, mm-hmm, that I do. Or I go, huh, huh, and my kids don't know what that means. I go, never mind. Cultural reference lost on younger viewers. But anyone who remembers Tony Randall say amen now. So do you see these are 15 points on how not to start a new religion. Beloved Christianity didn't stand a chance in heaven, earth or hell unless something happened that was absolutely inexplicable. Namely, he rose again from the dead bodily on the third day. That is what the disciples encountered. They didn't hear a snappy sermon. They met him. They ate fish with him for 40 days. Up to 500 people at one time saw him and they touched him. And Thomas, he said, Thomas, come on. He didn't rebuke the doubter. He said, put your finger in my hands. Thrust your hand in my side and be not doubtless but believing. And Thomas said, the Lord of me and the God of me, my Lord and my God. He rose, that's why this religion flew and continues to soar. Every other religious leader, you have a tomb that is full. Christ is an empty tomb. And you know, I just want to reflect for a minute I want to encourage you, beloved. Resurrection power is only seen in a graveyard. I don't care what's dead in you. I don't care what hope. I don't care who betrayed your confidence. I don't care who made a choice that you had nothing to do with that sunk your life and it is still sinking like an iron axe head under the water. Jesus can make that axe head float back up because he is risen. And he gives beauty in place of ashes. And resurrection power is only seen in a graveyard. It's okay that you're dead. It's okay. I always like to say, people always tell me to have faith. I, Lazarus had no faith. He was dead and rotting in the grave. What a comfort. All you got to do is be sealed in a tomb, rotting. Can you rot? I can do that. <laughs> Even I can rot in a tomb and not believe any hope for anything is ever going to be different and just, you know, rigor mortis and it stinks. And Jesus shows up and he says to Mary and Martha, how's it going, girls? 
They said, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. Jesus said, thanks for the warm hug. I'm feeling all kinds of warm fuzzies here. And he says, take me to the place where you laid him. Beloved, did you know God loves you enough to be late? Mary and Martha wanted him to heal Lazarus, but he wanted to do more than a healing. He wanted to do a sign and a wonder and a miracle. And sometimes he loves you enough to be late. Jesus heard Lazarus was dead and he waited an extra few days on purpose because he was going to show up. And when he did, he got attitude. Attitude determines altitude. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have wanted to be around there. Even Martha, the Holy One, wouldn't, was in the house, wouldn't come out and see him. When the Holy One is stiff-arming you with passive aggressiveness. Where's Mary? She's in the house. Oh, ooh, a little frosty. But, beloved, he said to them, take me to the place where you laid him. And I just feel him right now saying, I want you to take me by the hand and I want you to take me to that place where your dream died, where you buried it, where it's rotting, where there's hopelessness, utter helplessness, putrefaction. And the sister said, Lord, he stinketh. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he be dead, yet shall he live. And he that lives and believes in me shall never die. Roll away the stone, Jesus said. Lord, he stinketh. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And the Lord said to the disciples, loose him and let him go. I just feel the Lord saying, loose her and let her go. Loose him and let him go. All you have to do is be rotting and dead and hopeless. He does all the heavy lifting. Isn't that good news? He will find you. He will track you down. No one left behind. He will come up to that stone, and it was a two and a half ton stone. They're easy to roll in, hard to roll out. But Jesus said, remove the stone. Isn't he wonderful? The Lord of life. Death itself could not conquer him. The Apostle Paul said, if the princes of this world had known, they would never have crucified the Lord of glory because Jesus knew as he sacrificed himself for the lost sinners of the world who were helpless and hopeless that he was releasing deep magic that the enemy's powers always forget. He looked like a failure. That was intentional. That was the bait to lure the enemy. Remember the Red Sea? God used his own people as bait to draw Pharaoh and his entire army into the waters. And as they stepped in and there were no hoof left behind, when the last devil-possessed fool walked in, God said, close the water now. And Moses waved his rod and they were utterly consumed and destroyed. Beloved, those who have sought your life are dead. 
the powers that have succeeded thus far. You're going to get news from a far country very soon that all those powerful beasts that have sought and threatened you your whole life, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, they're gone. And I'll conclude with this. Four Easter insights in light of the reality of Christ rising literally and physically from the dead, their God picture was transformed. Up until now, yes, God was, he was the distant creator. He was the king. He was the transcendent, out there, powerful, distant God, like he is to most of us. Way up there, way out there, but in light of the resurrection. They saw him not transcendently, but eminently. He is right here, right now, the God of the impossible who can transform every suppliant, every sinner. Their whole God picture was transformed in light of the resurrection. He's not just the governor of the universe. He is my father the word that Jesus used that no one had ever used of God. Avi, my father. And he said, pray after this manner, our father. In light of the resurrection, their God picture was transformed. And for you, beloved, he's going to come eminently to you as the God of the impossible. And he's going to meet you intimately right now where you are struggling and where you are suffering. In light of the resurrection, number two, their whole view of the cross was transformed. Before, it was a sign of absolute destitution and devastation. After the resurrection, aha, it turns out to be the very implement that God used to redeem the entire world. Did you know the cross was a symbol of absolute loss? But after the resurrection, absolute glory and victory. Wow, things can change. What a difference a day makes, 24 little hours. When he rose from the dead, their God picture is transformed. Their whole view of the cross is transformed. That's why they were putting it as an, em an emblem all over the ancient world. What does it mean? Well, that's a religious symbol that speaks. It was a torture device. It's like wearing an Iron Maiden around your neck in gold. Look, I put some pearls on the Iron Maiden. And look, the spikes go in when you close it. It's really beautiful, isn't it? This was an implement of death, but in light of the resurrection, it transformed. And did you know the, the, the thing God's going to raise you from the dead in is going to so transform your God picture, beloved. It's open it up like a flower going to transform all your understanding of your sufferings thus far that have seemed terminal. They're not. They're a means to an end. They're not an end. And in light of the resurrection, third, their image of Jesus Christ was utterly transformed. The shallow view of him just being the carpenter and the miracle worker and the parable teacher and the sermonizer and, and nice to children and kind to everybody, that, that's nice. But that's not who he was. Those are the things he did as a means to an end. He was born to die. Who was he? He was the God-man, the second person of the Trinity in human flesh, born a little baby thing that made a woman cry. And 
in light of his resurrection from the dead, there's a whole new paradigm shift as to who Jesus is. Oh, my God. That's right. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. He didn't say, oh, I want to correct you here now. I don't want you to blaspheme. He received the worship nine times. He received worship all through his ministry. You start going and looking back and you start seeing his extraordinary claims. He's crucified on a charge of blasphemy. Why? Because he claimed to be almighty God. Before Abraham was, I am. And they took up stones to kill him. I and the Father are one. And they took up stones to kill him. I love the line in The Chosen where they said, Jesus, be careful. If you keep going this way, we're going to have to invoke the law of Moses. And he said, I am the law of Moses. Sweetheart. He was born to die. This isn't a fluke and a movement that went south. Well, I was trying to dress it up a bit and invent a new religion. Apart from the resurrection, you have no religion. But because he's alive. And these men went out and gave the ultimate sacrifice of their lives. So you can do whatever you want to me. But I had fish with him. And I spent 40 days with him. And he called and anointed me. And I will not shut up. Do what you want. Do your best. The ancient sage that was killed in the Roman arena said the Lord has been faithful to me for 86 years. How can I speak against him now? Do what you want. He's risen. He's alive. And finally, in light of the resurrection, their whole view of the world was transformed. This hard, empirical, concrete expression of all reality reduced to materialistic causes was eclipsed by a sudden veil torn and they saw, like Paul said, the things which we see are temporary. The things we don't see are eternal. So we look not to the things which are seen as an end in of themselves, but at the things which are not seen. Their whole view, their picture of God, their view of the cross, their view of who Christ was, their entire view of what the world is and what is truly valuable, all transformed in one moment as he rose triumphantly from the dead. Oh, beloved, there's hope for you today. Do you know what all this means? That all the suffering is not going to be the final word in your life. Whatever cross is confronting you now, it's not the final word. Whatever you've done to your own life, Moses had sinned. That's what brought him to Midian. Moses murdered an Egyptian, and he was fleeing from his sins. I don't care what sins you've committed. I don't care what you did to put you where you are in the mess that you're in and the prison sentence that you're legitimately suffering. Christ has the final word. And he says in Exodus 4, go back now those who sought your life are dead. Take the staff in your hand. Take your family. We're about to move and we're about to go back into areas you long forgotten hopes that you've long resigned to death. Come on, Lazarus, just rot. That's all you need to do. Be good and dead and stinky. Jesus is coming. He has the final word, beloved. Not your spouse, not your children, not the dead court. Jesus has the final word. 
in the womb. He said, live. He saw you in your mother's afterbirth. And he said, live. He's kept you all the days of your life to this very hour. And he said, you will fulfill the will of God, all the will of God for your generation. Because he lives, we live also. Can you put your hands together and give him praise? Can you give praise to the Lord? Isn't he wonderful? The risen Savior, that's who we serve today. Wear an empty tomb around your neck. That's good news. Oh, beloved, I want to pray an Ephraim blessing on you. I want to pray just like this gorgeous lay that I'm wearing. It's a living thing. It's alive. And Stacy brought this all the way from Hawaii in a bag and had to carry it around. Thank you, honey. She loves me. She loved me enough to drag this thing around. And it's going right back in the fridge as soon as I take it off. But isn't this a symbol of everything God is doing? It's a living. It's an ornament. I think the Lord's ready to give some crowns out to his precious children. I think think he's getting ready to give some lays and some ornaments of victory to people that know nothing but the cross and the empty and the tomb beloved he has medals for all you've suffered he has bracelets rings ornaments for you like this isn't it beautiful and I'm so uncomfortable with nice things <laughs> That as soon as she put it on, I thought, well, this shouldn't go to me. This should go. I'm 63 years old, and I'm still thinking like a, a hick from Des Moines. <laughs> Nothing wrong with hicks from Des Moines. <laughs> Jesus died for him 2,000 years ago. <laughs> They're of the elect and the remnant. But, Father, would you please give ornaments of reward to your children, Lord, for their faithfulness? Only you know what it took for them to get out of bed today. Only you know what it takes at night when they try to go to sleep and are tormented with thoughts. And But Jesus, you look into the darkness of the tomb where everything seems to be rotting, putrefying, and you bring life and you bring hope and you bring love. And I pray an ornament, an Ephraim, uh, the word for fruitfulness, that you would heal the last vestiges of the brokenness of your people through heavy fruitfulness heavy favor, heavy open doors that exceeding abundantly above and beyond all we could ask or think, Lord. Relationships birthed of you that come out of nowhere. Lord, you're the left-handed God. Bring everything out of left field, Jesus, and surprise your pros, Lord. Surprise your people who are experts at unbelief. Surprise them all with newness of life and hope and encouragement in Jesus' name. And if you say you receive that, put your hands together right now. Amen. Praise the Lord. What a blessing today. We have our beloved Joaquin with us. I wanted to bring him up. Whatever, whatever gift or call 
the Lord gave you, the only thing you can do is be obedient to it and serve it and Him. But like Noah, who, made, who, who built the boat, he couldn't make the boat float. God had to bring the flood. The flood floated the boat. All you can do is build the boat. You can't float the boat. God has to do that. Why? Because if we could float the boat, then we'd say we did it. And he don't want us to say that we did it. He wants to get the glory. So you have to be cool with that. So uh, it took, correct me if I'm wrong, Craig, but 120 years. Uh, so 120 years he looked the fool. Looked like a crazy man to his family and to the c community. What What are you doing? Building so, you, so can you relate to that? Have you been made to look a fool? Have you been made to look crazy? I probably look crazy right now. But uh, there, will, <laughs> there will come a time when all that crazy will be made sane by what God does. See, you can't make yourself sane. God is going to make you sane to improve that what you're doing for him uh, is not sane and bless you and bless others through it. And, and so it is the same with this day, Resurrection Day. You cannot save yourself. It doesn't matter what you do or how good you are. You, can, you, you, you cannot pay off a debt. Uh, that you don't you don't have the money to pay you 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 if you ever sinned in word thought or deed it sounds harsh but then you, you can't pay that off and so Jesus paid it for you and just like you can you can't you can't float your own boat you can't save yourself so he wants to do it all for you he wants to bless you he wants to anoint you he wants to put you into your destiny and he wants you to go to be with him forever. So he has, he's covered all the bases. All you have to do is say, yeah, I want that. Yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, <laughs> I want that. Um, Lord, I pray you bless everyone listening to this message and let them know that you love them and... Uh, they're not signing up to join some church. They're not signing up to join a cult. They're not signing up to join a religion. They're signing up to spend eternity with you. Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. As always, a perfect dessert. Mm. It's all good news today. We love you. If you have prayer requests, send them in. Let us hear from you. If we're feeding you, please take a moment. Consider feeding us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord lift his countenance unto you and give you peace. Amen. He is risen. We hope today's message has been a blessing to you, and if it has, please visit our website at drcraigjohnson.org. There you can find additional messages of encouragement. And if our ministry has been a blessing to you, please consider us in your ministry giving, as we depend solely on the financial assistance of our listeners like yourself. Also, please feel free to send any personal prayer requests. You can find us online at drcraigjohnson.org. God bless you.